Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of the Gamify Everything podcast. We cover all things metaverse, blockchain, Web3, and beyond. I'm your host, Monica Miller, and I hope everyone out there is having a great day today. Last week, we chatted with the studio head and lead designer of Time Raiders, a shoot-and-loot, play-to-earn NFT game. Be sure to catch our discussion on any of Gamify's socials or on your podcast platform, because they've got some really cool stuff going on that you won't want to miss. Today, we'll be chatting with the CEO, Hannah Thorson, and COO, Michael Lubker, of Art Chops, a team working to gamify traditional education and launch students into a future of autonomous, financial, and creative freedom, both virtually and physically. We'll also be joined by CEO Danny Silvers of Montana Games, an independent development studio in Boston, creating games that delight, inspire, and innovate on the art form in surprising, colorful, and positive ways. Art Chops and Montana Games have been collaborating on hybrid summer camp tournaments that combine creative and competitive aspects of Mondrian, an orbital brick-breaking arcade experience created by Lantana Games. I'm going to welcome them all to the Gamify Everything podcast, bring them down to the stage here. Hannah, Danny, and Michael, welcome to the conversation. How are you all doing today? Good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. Danny, how are things over there in Boston? Sunny, hot, hot. I'm imagining. <laughs> yeah. it's real hot up here, but we're, we're pulling through. I hear, I hear. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's also hot here in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You and Hannah, but we're all in we're all in the uh the hot periods of the United States right now, I guess. It's called July. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's bad, it's bad. My poor air conditioner is trying its best. <laughs> But welcome. Thank you all so much for your time today. You are working on some really interesting stuff, and I want to dive into it. I kind of want to do a little bit of context, though. Michael, I reached out to you a while ago because of a comment that you made on a LinkedIn post about what you're doing, building about um, building a mentorship and internship platform for game development, esports, content creation, and Web3 financial education. I'm super excited to dive into all of that. But first, I would love if each of you could give a little bit of introduction about yourselves, um, what you're doing in the space, and how you arrived to this interesting intersection of gaming, education, and crypto. Um, and Michael, we'll start with you since uh, you were the first connection that I made here. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm Michael Luker. I've been in events and games for around 15-ish years um, and was focused pretty heavily on like games and gaming events for quite a long time, but especially um, since the pandemic, have been focusing more on education and learning about crypto in that time frame too. Um, education has definitely become a passion for seeing how everything was kind of falling apart during the pandemic and um, obviously tying gaming in uh, for the next generation is super important. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to usher in uh, a digital educational environment on the fly, definitely challenging, but we appreciate your support. Danny, I'm going to pass the uh, mic to you. Uh, Let's see. So I graduated from the Savannah College of Art and Design in 2009 and founded Montana Games shortly after. Uh, in 2012, I uh, was a part of the founding team of the Boston Festival of Indie Games at MIT and was with the show for three years after that. So basically started my career with a combination of game development and events management. Um, and then in 
2015, we launched the first Mondrian game. Uh, and then that got shown off at the Smithsonian at a gaming event that they had going on down there. Um, and uh, then the pandemic rolled around pretty much right in the middle of the sequel, Plastic Realities Development. Um, and got that out in uh, September of 2020. Uh, and around that time, discovered these things called NFTs and how they were being used by the art community to become a new revenue and support source that they had never seen before. And, you know, I'm taking a walk one day, I think listening to a podcast about NFTs, and I'm like, wait a minute, I have a game that makes art. Uh, this is uh, definitely a path worth pursuing. And so concepted uh, this website that, would basically be an open sea for the game. Um, and then pitched that at the uh, uh, Nordic Game Discovery Contest qualifier round back in March, uh, won that. And then uh, since then, I've been uh, collaborating along with Art Chops uh, and uh, other partners to help bring that to life, to bring these new tournaments to life. Uh, there's, there's so many different moving pieces to the game now that uh, it's tough to keep track of them, but somehow my brain is able to keep it all in order. Oh, it sounds like you just kind of slid right into a niche there once you made the connection, and um, yep. it's been growth ever since. Um, you know, bringing people together, so that's that's fantastic. It's great to hear. Hannah, last but not least, an interest. Yeah. <laughs> um. Gosh, I, I always get stumped on this part because my life's been crazy. Um, I'd say um, my start technically at Art Shops was um, I was in Sacramento, California. Um, I was uh, just fired from um, the eSports Lounge there. First time I'd ever been fired from a job um, because a marginalized employee had been wrongfully fired and the boss basically made fun of him in our work group chat and I, I wasn't cool with it. And so I got fired for it. Um, and as this was happening, my, my grandpa also uh, passed away from lung cancer. So all these events were kind of happening in my life and I was, I was also getting wrongfully evicted. So there were all these things that were happening and, and I was like, wow, my life is going, going to crap. And uh, then I had this idea to, kind of bring cancer awareness um, into the gaming industry because of what happened with my grandpa. And so I reached out on LinkedIn and Michael um, uh, was in my, my connections at the time and he kind of got me connected uh, with Art Chops. And uh, one thing led to another. Um, I was very much a, an editor, uh, you know, photography, uh, anything media, editing, uh, videos. I, I love anything content. So I, I wanted to kind of offer those services for Art Chops um, so I drove 27 hours from Sacramento to Austin um, with the help of Michael and, and Graham and um, uh, then sw uh, got up, uh, updated. Uh, <laughs> it's still weird to think about, but I got offered the, the role switch to become CEO. Um, and since then, I've just been trying to help kind of guide our chops into a little bit more of a better direction since we've 
kind of been in, on a like because there's so many different things we can do. I think Art Chops was like, oh, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this. Where do we start? And, I was, and so I came in and I'm like, all right, guys, let's do this. And, and, and since then, uh, yeah, we, we've definitely gotten a lot farther. But yeah, I'd say that mm-hmm. that's a little short of it. Hannah, thank you for sharing parts of your story. I'm sorry that you've had to experience those things, but um, thank you for still giving back to the community and, and putting your best foot forward. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so uh, sorry to keep the, the mic on you, but I would love to hear a little bit more about your vision, your big picture vision, now that you are in the CEO role of Art Chops. Um, how are things going? Where do you see things going? And for those who aren't familiar, could you maybe provide like a little company profile um, for what you offer the world? Yeah, so... Um... Basically, we, we are an ed tech slash gaming company, um, really focused on, on bringing support to those that are marginalized and neurodiverse. Um, you know, the, the, the world, but especially America, I, I feel like it very, very much limits the, the learning and development opportunities um, that are provided for um, those that are neurodiverse. There are, there's like stats on, 44% of, of neurodiverse um, kiddos uh, pursue education their, their education before to help them get into the labor market and, and even get into jobs. Um, and 10 to 30% of the population technically has a neurodivergent trait. So that's a lot of people that are, are being affected. And, and there are also cases of, of you know, uh, neurodivergent people who excel and are great in hyper-focusing. Um, you know, they say that ADHD is a lack of attention, but ADHD folks actually do have the ability to hyper-focus if they, if they really want to fo- like work on something. Um, so yeah, basically we're, we're looking to, to bring a lot more attention, awareness, and accessibility to these neurodiverse and marginalized groups through, um, we're starting off with camps and an app. Uh, we eventually want to be able to uh, implement a gamified curriculum um, that kind of changes what the the current system and educational uh, curriculum looks like. Um, and we, we are definitely looking to do that through um, implementing all kinds of different like gamified aspects. So kids can um, jump into VR and learn things. They can jump into Minecraft and learn things. Um, and a bunch of different other aspects we want to include, like social learning and social skill building, as um, I don't think that's taught very much in, in schools these days. Uh, I, I myself tend to still lack some social skills and can, can be awkward and introverted. And I think had I learned social skills in school, I would have been able to kind of traverse emotions and the the perils of life and adulthood a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I'd say right now uh, we're, we're getting our first camp ever, ever started. Um, uh, Danny tried his game out with a, a, another partner of ours um, in South Carolina and it went really well. The kids made some really cool stuff. Um, it was awesome to see because not only are we, are we looking to kind of gamify things, but we're looking to support people that want to be entrepreneurs and content creators. So the other half of the camp is actually that um, we, we, we want to train kids how to become like streamers and, and, and shoutcasting and, and being able to like have a, have a, a voice and, and talk over stuff. And uh, the kids were a little bit brutal. Uh, they were a little bit honest when it came to like how the levels were made and stuff. Um, 
but it, it was fun to see the creativity that came out of it. And uh, now we're finally going to be uh, creating a, a camp here in Austin. Um, and I'd say this is probably the furthest we've ever gotten so far because we haven't had a, a, any, any, I guess, product yet. Um, but yeah, our, our, our new products will, will be um, getting these camps going and then um, getting an MVP of a mentor app where after the camp is done, um, these kiddos will actually have a mentor that will stay with them and kind of help them um, continue whatever might have interest them, interested them during the camp. Um, I think this is highly beneficial because um, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if I hadn't had um, one of my one of my advisors, Graham, as my mentor. Uh, he saw something in me that nobody else did. Um, I was always amounted to my experience and and the things that I've done, and not to what I could do. And 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 that's where I always say experience doesn't equal potential because you could be absolutely crap at something, but if someone at least gives you a shot to try it, you could be greater than you ever imagined. So, yeah. yeah. Sometimes all it takes is that one opportunity. But um, I was really uh, compelled at the part where you shared a little bit about reforming like a, a curriculum, um, gamify it. Um, I found for me personally, I, I gamify my everyday life. It helps me get by, it helps me make it exciting, and it helps me achieve goals. Like, Sometimes I have my own little quest log going on on my whiteboard and stuff like that. So I think that's really like a really valuable tool for education. And I hope to see more of that pop up instead of like video games are bad. Um, you know, that age old uh, waggle of the finger. Yeah. But, um, I do want to hear a little bit more about the mentorship and internship internship program. And Michael, I kind of want to um, go back around and pass the microphone to you for that. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit more about um, that, that comment that you had made on LinkedIn. You probably don't remember, maybe you do, but I, I have a screenshot of it in my phone because I wanted to follow up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. nice. Um, yeah, so the mentorship and the internship piece, um, how I see that progressing is basically we will have, I mean, our goal is to start running as many camps as possible in different places so that they are like hitting different demographics and things like that. Um, but then the idea of the app is like somebody will put in like their name, uh, you know, I'm zone info, that sort of thing, a little bit about themselves, what interests they have, and also like maybe like something about like what if they have some a, a neurodiversity um, and So then they would get hooked up with a mentor. I I kind of see it as kind of similar to like a Uber style or you know how oh they have the matchmaking apps um for for dating but this is for education. Um just that the user interface from those is definitely an inspiration and um, then allowing for connections to be built, and and the idea is companies like Danny's could, or you know other companies that we're working with could also offer internships. 
and like I like the uh, that style. It's a very people are familiar with that. It's user friendly. Um, I think that's a really good way to go for that. That that's really cool. I, that's something I wish existed when I was like in the turning point from high school to college or college to the real world. That that's really cool. You developed that. Now, Danny, I would love to hear a little bit more about your vision with Autonic Games, um, some things that you're working on, things that might be coming down the pipeline, and then kind of making that connection here with Hannah on what you guys are working on together. Uh, well, so right now we're solely continuing to, fo- uh, yeah, uh, continuing to focus on monitoring plastic reality. Um, the, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts to that. We've got the camps and tournaments that are getting set up. Uh, these tournaments, uh, like we've mentioned, uh, in South Carolina uh, as a test case went really, really well. I agree, the kids were brutal, uh, but I, I love, uh, I love the results of it. Um, I definitely don't want to stifle their creativity in, in any manner, so I, I was all about it. I, mm-hmm. I thought they did great. Um, so we've got those going on. Uh, more game updates, obviously coming out. Um, I, you know, I, I, I try to push for, uh, getting at least one update a month out. Um, you know, whether it's a small update or a, a big feature update, uh, you know, making sure that the game stays alive and is always growing and getting better. Um, you know, building up our uh, user generated content community. I'm a big proponent of modding and, uh, level design and, seeing what the community can come up with, even if it's like external tools uh, or complete overhauls of the game. If they can find a way to dig into it and do that, I'm completely supportive of it. You know, I want the game to be, it's like the ultimate creative platform that is usable by anybody at any age and just about any skill level, really, because you, know, you can drag and drop a level together in seconds. Uh, it only takes a few minutes to really make it in depth. And then there's like a, a crazy sort of AI backend that has impeccable taste in color theory that can essentially paint your levels for you, or uh, you can handle it yourself and make some uh, just absolutely crazy works. Everything from pixel art to trompeloid. Uh, I'm, I'm big on art, I'm big on player creativity. Uh, and, and really just turning this into uh, a really disruptive art platform that's missing in the rest of the gaming industry. I think one of the, the biggest things that angers me about the AAA space in particular is how locked away uh, players are from really making the experience their own. Um, you know, the, the, the big studios have gotten away from level editors with some some pretty impressive exceptions like PGA Tour for instance um, but there's still very few and far between compared to what they used to be and uh, it's, it's disappointing really. so uh, you know I, I grew up on games that you know all had level editors in them whether it was Load Runner or Jazz Jackrabbit 2 or Starcraft uh, just to name a few and you know, I, I wanted to make something that sort of harkened back to those the glory days of 90s gaming and user-generated content. So I think when it comes to collaborating with Art Chops, it was kind of a, a perfect match. Um, you know, Art Chops is all about helping uh, young creatives find 
their way into the game industry and what better way to do that than through a game. You got me there. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. So we, we've ta- chatted a lot about like the contents of the game and the um, effects it can have. I'm really curious about um, bringing it to the blockchain. So what is your vision for integrating the blockchain technology, whether that's through NFTs or tokenization, um, what does that look like now and what does that look like moving forward? So right now, the game is only available on Steam and Steam has a very anti-blockchain stance at the moment. However, because of its unique positioning in being a creative tool set and not just a game, uh, what the plan currently is, is to build a Web3 enabled website where players can uh, share their works, which would also somewhat detach the game from uh, Steam Workshop and allow us to bring the game to other platforms finally. Um, but then also, once your creation is on this website, you'll be able to uh, mint it into an NFT and sell it or put it up for auction. Um, and the idea is to find a new way for the modding community to support each other uh, through Web3 in a much more streamlined way than has ever been done before. Absolutely. Yeah, and Web3, um, there was something that you mentioned, Michael, about Web3 financial education, um, all those sorts of things. You know, I, I jumped onto this podcast so I could learn more about this and immerse myself in it because it's really hard to find uh, educational content about what it is. It's just kind of like a, for me, it feels like an if you know, you know kind of deal. And I'm just like, well, how do I know? How do I find out? Um, you know, and I have been talking to someone on the podcast before. His name was Ivan, and he's also a big proponent of financial literacy and financial education. Um, I had asked, he is in um, uh, like the collegiate sphere. I had asked, you know, is there any, are there any courses for blockchain or any courses for NFTs or any like education that's being formulated out there? And um, the answer was like, not currently, no. But um, Michael, I would love to hear from you specifically, where you envision um, bringing this sort of information and knowledge to the educational sphere. Um, I know it's, it's, it's a reality of ours. You know, we can't deny that NFTs, blockchain, crypto is a part of our day-to-day living in some way. I was just at Wawa yesterday. Do they have Wawa in Boston, Danny? Uh, they don't, but I'm familiar okay. with it. All right. All right. Anybody out there who knows Wawa is, they have their own NFTs now. I was waiting, waiting for my food. I saw that they had like a, a, a scan for, um, that is a convenience store. So mm-hmm. it's just so interesting how, um, you know, all this is coming in our daily life, but education and everything is kind of like, no, no, then stick to the curriculum, stick to this. Um, so I'm just curious, Michael, to hear a little bit more about what you had in mind. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's also very holistic in terms of like having talked with Hannah and other students of her generation, considering what happened with my generation with the Great Recession, um, like. Financial literacy is super important in all levels, and crypto is definitely a coming piece of it. So it's just like, um, I mean, even like basic accounting and such isn't really taught in schools. I mean, you have to select to do it. So it's like, uh, I mean, there's so much I wish I knew about finance and really don't. It's just like 
know, it's as much a personal uh, just want and need for knowledge as much as anything else. And then yeah. Hannah also has been researching another piece called the Open Access Economy. So you should ask her about that too. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, I'm gonna ask about the open access economy. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me about it? Yeah, so um, you know, when I when I first switched to CEO, my, my brain kind of just went kaboom and went into like all these different like like oh my gosh. So like for like two weeks straight it was nothing but YouTube like like all these suggestions were coming up of all these, all this stuff that was like, just like all these Ted talks and whatnot. Cause I really love watching Ted talks. And so this Ted talk came up, um, that was a, a childhood question of mine that I actually asked my dad like a long time ago, which was why does money exist? Why do we need money? What, how would we function in a society without money? And so the, the title of this, this Ted talk was, you know, what what if we lived in a world without money? And um, so the, the speaker was Colin Turner, and I was so intrigued by this open access economy that I actually reached out to him, and he is now one of our advisors. Um, well, that being, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, with that being said, though, he uh, so basically what the open access economy is is um, everything is is shared. Um, the idea is we live in an open access economy on a day-to-day basis personally. Um, for example, um, when you go to the fridge and you have a roommate, uh, you don't ask your roommate to pay you or like to, you don't go and grab the milk and make your roommate pay you. Like you just grab the milk because it's implied that it's shared and and, and, and you guys are, you're, you're, you're functioning together and you trust each other. It's a, it's a symbiotic, trusted environment. Um, so we technically are already living in that in our day-to-day lives. And 1% of the world is volunteering, which means we're 1% on the way to an open access economy because volunteering is basically the same principle. Um, so how I really envision um, Web3 is even further than just the NFT piece, even further than just financial gain. I think the models of, of DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, um, and different pieces like that can be used to create a value system and a reputation system um, that can start incentivizing people to be to be better, to do better, to pick, chase their passions simply because they're a good person and they have good morals and they want to be good for the community. Um, and I think that we can utilize Web3 in a way where we can we can kind of use that system and and um, slowly implement um, giving giving people recognition for their work um, and, uh, through NFTs and like an NFT marketplace um, and, and and setting up smart contracts and stuff like that so we can provide a little bit more autonomy when it comes to how people are working um, and then eventually as as um, as things start rolling out over the next decade or two, I, I envision that system kind of rolling into the open access economy and and, and pivoting into that uh, so we can eventually live in a world where 
everybody loves each other. Everybody is family. Everybody cares about each other. Um, and we're all working towards common good. And hopefully we can Here. avoid and hopefully we can avoid the uh eugenics wars of uh Trek, uh while that shift is going on because I mean the Star Trek economy is very similar to the open access economy too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I really liked how you um Hannah used the um example of the refrigerator. I think like breaking it down into those simple like day-to-day, -day, like, hey, this is a relatable experience. This is how you can understand what this is. Um, I was a little resistant about it all because it was it was just like looking up at this giant mountain that I have to climb of information. Um, but like when you start taking it in chunks and I started like asking myself like, hmm, where do I use decentralized economy in my life? I started like reflecting on those things. It was like kind of everywhere in many ways. Um, so I think that that's a really good way to describe how that works yeah i think um it's it's a very out there idea still i think that a lot of people are going to be like huh a world without money what are you on <laughs> but it's like yeah when, when you when you really break it down you know you know it's all that an open access economy is is just bringing the idea of family to a worldly perspective instead of a personal one yeah absolutely yeah, so, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about how challenging these conversations can be. Um, I would really love to hear a little bit more about, like, your collective experiences as you've had these conversations. Have you seen, like, more people clicking? Has it been less of, like, how do you see mainstream adoption unfolding specifically here in this trio intersection between gaming, crypto, and education? Like, it's just such a, a, such a niche spot, and I'm sure the conversations you're having are just... Ooh, it circles and flips and yeah. It's it's really, really early days on it. And you know, we're we're seeing right now the, the crypto space is, is definitely going down uh, every single day. Like a year-ish ago, Tezos, for instance, was six bucks and Ethereum was three thousand bucks, and now Tezos is like a buck fifty and Ethereum is half what it was. Um but you know, what, what's interesting is that these aren't just currencies, they are technologies that have full ecosystems tied to them. And so I think we've only just begun to scratch the surface of what is possible in those ecosystems. And, uh, you know, in that sense, I think it's important to build those ecosystems out in order to uh, regain some value in those spaces because i think a lot of people are you know looking at the state of the world right now and being very protective of their money but that does not mean they're protective of their creativity in the same way i think that people are always going to want to make stuff no matter what the financial circumstances are um and i think that is um you know, uh, finding new things that can tie into these technologies is what's going to uh, bring the value of crypto back up in the long run, rather than just uh, day traders and speculation moving in and out of the space. Yeah, absolutely. Hannah, would you like to share anything, Michael? <laughs> Basically took the words out of my mouth. 
right. Nail on the head with that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael, you're muted, I think. Sorry, I was just going to ask what was the original question again? Um, just kind of what your experience has been collectively integrating gaming, to, uh, crypto, and education, and like kind of where you see mainstream adoption going at that intersection. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say that gaming has been like, Gaming and events have been like the majority of my experience. It is interesting to see like the experiments with utility. Um, utility is really the biggest piece of what I see uh, before shifting into like what Hannah was talking about with the open access side of things. But for example, with utility, like um, Mondrian. Um, already has some cool things like um, we are making QO codes in the levels. So there's right now they have to be manually, but I, I mean, it, it, it literally just comes down to code and you know, code time and money, really. So. Yeah. And I think the creativity piece part is is going to be like like the biggest part because. That's another thing, you know, you've noticed that comes with money is um, people's fear to present their ideas. They're afraid that their money, their, their ideas will get stolen and then somebody will profit off of that. And it sucks because it's like, uh, I don't remember what scientist it was, um, but he, he advocated for making science open access because he believes that science and scientists should be able to share their, you know, their everything and 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 try and make the world a better place and it's unfortunate that money has kind of uh limited that um especially when it comes to this industry with like creativity content creation entrepreneurship so i think that's going to be another probably main driver of things is people are going to see like uh hey i can finally start bringing my ideas out and not have them be stolen i can collaborate with other people i can i can make profit off of my my uh my art i can continue to make residuals and i can i can create a life where i'm i'm following my passion and um doing good for not only myself but my family my friends and the world because i'm doing something i want to do not something that i've been conformed to do yeah absolutely I've always been a, a big believer in making stuff that nobody would dare copy because it's far too complicated and far too overwhelming to even bother. Yeah. Um, so I, I think in that, that, that's kind of what helps me sleep at night, knowing that uh, my stuff is so out there that nobody in their right mind would bother filming it. Uh, but if they want to, like, I'm not going to stop them. I would just say, you know, if you're if you're really going to do the undertaking, uh, reach out. I'll help. <laughs> I'll I'll help you clone it. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, because you did mention you wanted to be able to make it so somebody could technically like turn Mondrian into a totally different game if they wanted, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of different arcade games that it could become. I just, you know, I'm, I'm focused on the you know the the core gameplay that I'm yeah. it's in there and expanding that out and growing it. Doing more with the story and the art platform and everything that's tied into it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Going back to what you said a little earlier, Hannah, um, about like the conforming and you know opening the art creativity and all that. Um, I think you know maybe as this progresses um, and crypto and uh, Bitcoin and all those fun things become more mainstream, I think it could open up a pathway for more people to feel more confident to become creators because they're like, hey, look, here's another potential that I could generate um, value in exchange for what I'm offering. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on. But um, we are kind of coming towards the end of the podcast episode here. So I want to give each of you an opportunity to share any last words and also where to find you or your company online. Um, and Michael, we'll throw it back to you. Yeah. Um, I do see also uh, there's like a huge opportunity in the future of education. And I mean, in our case, that starts um, August 1st with the camp. Um, in Austin, and I guess the best way to find me personally is on LinkedIn. Um, the I, I I would say LinkedIn or Twitter, and I just just for my name or or for Chop Sangu. <laughs> Excellent. Danny, do you, uh, do you need a, a link or anything? I have like a Luma link if that would help. Um, I can put it on top of the podcast window, but we'd have to read it to those who are listening audio only. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, as for me, uh, you can find Montana Games just everywhere at Montana Games, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, me personally, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, hit me up. Um, and uh, go check out Montreal Plastic Reality on Steam. It's just fifteen dollars, and or you know, it's like sixteen or seventeen for the entire series bundle, which also includes an hour of killer music. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, uh, and then for me, um, I'd say uh, hmm, find me on LinkedIn, uh, and then my Instagram is uh, Hanfire Game. Uh, H-A-N-N-A-F-I-E-R game. Um, also Hannah Fire on YouTube. My Twitter got suspended forever ago because uh, Twitter does this thing where if you post, if you repost a TikTok with music on it, it won't warn you that you have DMCA DMCA music until a year after you posted the tweet. And so that happened to me three times where it like waited a year to tell me and then suspended my whole account. So I'm totally using a totally different new one, but once I get a new, uh, a new better Twitter, I can, I can put that eventually. But yeah, I'd say those are the ones are probably the, the best. And then my, my Luma, um, if, if you want to, uh, I think my Luma is just lu.ma slash H-A-N-N-A-F-I-E-R. And that should be a link to like everything that, that I've been working on. Awesome. And you know, if you're in the Austin area, and you're looking for uh, a really, really fun camp that is going to teach you some art, teach you some game development, um, teach you some streaming and shoutcasting and esports tournament prep and playing and you know, some, some cool prizes. Uh, keep an eye out for our incoming announcement about that. Um, check you know our social medias at our chops at Montana Games. Uh, uh, the announcement will be up at montanagames.com, maybe even artchops.gg. Uh, and yeah, uh, yeah uh, 
you know, it's it's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. Sweet. Looking looking forward. Forward. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, thank you all for your time today. Um, and thank you, everybody, for tuning into the Gamify Everything podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you. Have a good one.